This evening, we are looking at the topic of living our days in the light of that day. Living our days in the light of that day. When we looked at the book of Malachi, we studied about you know, the day of the Lord, that day that is soon coming. But we are living here on earth now. So how can we make sure that the days that we have here on earth will be lived in the light of eternity to come? So in the beginning, let's ask ourselves this question. What is our life? What is our life? The Bible compares our life to many things, you know, so that we may realize that life is very short. And as a result, it is important for us to number our days as we find in Psalm 90 and verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And to show how short our life is, God compares our life to nine things. Let's look at that you know, briefly as a start off for our study this evening. The brevity of life, the words that the Bible uses. Number one, the Bible uses the word a vapor, a vapor. James chapter 4 and verse 14 tells us why. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. A vapor is a mist that is easily dissipated by the rising sun. All our plans depend on our life continuing. But what a frail and uncertain thing our life is. Who can build any solid plans on the permanence of a vapor or a mist? It is so short. Secondly, the second word description that is used for our life, it's a breath. It's a breath. Job. 7, 7 says, Remember, O Lord, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. It is just a breath. Okay, We take one deep breath, one in, one out. You, know, you may not really be sure whether you'll be able to breathe out or breathe in again. Just that simple thing of our regular breathing. We think we are in control. No way. Suddenly, one uh, now at one breath, a person is alive. Next breath, he is no longer there. Thirdly, the word that is used is a cloud. A cloud. Job chapter 7 and verse 9 says, As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so one who goes down to the grave does not return. We cannot stop a cloud or a wind. Similarly, we cannot hinder the speedy motion of our days. We see the clouds and suddenly the clouds cover up something and then it is gone. We don't see it anymore. That is how quick you know, our lives are, how short our lives are. Fourthly, a flower, a flower. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 24 tells us, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Now you may say, oh, the glory is like the flowers of the field. So man is very glorious. Now what does the Bible say? The grass withers and the flowers fall. A flower is often cut down or it is in a cropped in its budding. Many people are cut off 
in the flower of their life, maybe by natural death or sickness, or it could be suddenly by an accident or something. A flower, if not cut off, will soon wither away and it is gone. It may be nice and beautiful on the plant, but after some time, it is gone. And also, as the owner of the flowers knows best when to cut them, so the Lord also knows best when to crop or to take away by death any of his choice flowers. Number five, the Bible speaks about our life as a swift post. A swift post. Job chapter 9 verse 25 tells us, My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Now, this was in the days you know, where a postman would ride on the swiftest of horses. He would change horses at every stage to keep up with the speed and would only take a morsel of food at each stop and then speed on. And all people will give way to this postman who was riding this horse. So the Bible is saying it's like a swift post, no stopping whatsoever. It comes very quickly, goes very quickly. Number six, also a swift ship, a swift ship. They skim past like boats of papyrus. They skim past like boats of papyrus. If you're now watching in a, a ship in a, or a boat in, a, in the sea, once it goes, you know, it's like the end, you, know, you find you, know, that's, you, know, you don't see it anymore. Right now it may seem huge, but as it goes further and further away, it disappears from your sight. Number seven, an eagle, like eagles swooping down on their prey, like eagles swooping down on their prey. The life of man is compared to an eagle hurrying to catch her prey when hunger adds swiftness to her wings. Remember, an eagle is a very swift flying bird. So when the Bible is speaking about life is like an eagle. Quick, come down, soup, and that's it. It's over. Number eight, a weaver's shuttle. A weaver's shuttle. Job chapter 7 and verse 9. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. A weaver's shuttle is a very swift instrument. When the weaver has finished his web, he quickly cuts off the thread. So it is that when man has run the length of his days appointed by God, his life is cut off. You know, if you have been to a textile you know, a mill where this shuttle, you know, the weaving goes on, you'll find that such a fast you know, movement of it. And once it is done, that particular piece, the end, you know, the thread is cut, that's it, it's over. Number nine, life is like a shadow. Job chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. Mortals born of women are of few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away. Like fleeting shadows, they do not endure. It is compared to a shadow. You know. Remember, in, you know, before Noah's time, man lived you know, long. You know, but man's life is now cut short. Three score and ten is the figure that is appointed for man after the flood. So, knowing that our time is short, knowing that our life is short, knowing that our days here on earth you know, is very limited, what 
do we do? How do we live our lives? That's what we are going to look at. First of all, let's recognize that our days are fixed. Our days are fixed. Job chapter 14 and verse 5 tells us, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Remember, this is an undeniable truth. Our days are fixed. Now, we do not know how many days we have left upon this earth. Only God knows that. But God knows the date. God knows the date. When it says his days are determined, God has already decided. Maybe as soon as we were born or maybe even before that. God has determined the number of days. And if you notice that verse says the number of his months are with thee. In other words, it is so minutely processed by God. Our days are fixed. This is an undeniable truth. Now, man today will say, hey, I can prolong my life. I can extend my life. He thinks he is in control. No, the undeniable truth is God is the one who has fixed the amount of days that we have here on earth. And this is also an unalterable truth. This is an unalterable truth. Remember in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 16 to 20, we have <coughs> the parable of the rich and of farmer, where God called him a fool. God called him a fool, where he says, thinks about the future and says, this is what I will do. I will break down my barns. I will build bigger barns. And I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Because he says, I have goods laid out for many years. But what did God say? He says, tonight I require your soul. Little did he realize when he was boasting that he had a lot of time left, that was to be his last night on earth. We never know when our last breath will be or when our heart will beat for the very last time. We never know that. So many people have gone to sleep, hoping plans for the next day, but they died in their sleep. They thought they were in control. No, it's an undeniable truth and an unalterable truth that our days are fixed by God. It is not in our hands, it is fixed by God. As a result, we must make sure that we are living each day that God gives to us in gratefulness for what he has given to us and being ready for when he wants to take it back. So not only are our days fixed, they are also few. They are also few. As Job chapter 14 and verse 1 says, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And this is a reality that we must face. This is a reality that we must face. As much as a person may want to live for a long, 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 long time here on earth, our days are fixed. According to scripture, the normal lifespan is 70 years. Psalm 90 and verse 10 tells us the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength there be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. So the normal lifespan for a human being, the Lord has fixed as 70 years. You know? As a result, if it is 70 years that God has given to us, so we must all the more have a reason to focus on 70 years. Now, if you know that you have to live for 70 years, you know, you have a planning for that, isn't it? Let me give you some statistics, you know. 
At birth, you have 25,550 days to live if you had to live for 70 years, okay? So, we must learn to focus on these 70 years that are ahead of us. The word focus means to concentrate, okay? So, when you're thinking about the future, you say, okay, I have so many years, you know, let me give you, you know, a calculation of how many years you have left or how many days you have left, okay? At the age of 20, you have 18,250 days left. At the age of 30, you have 14,600 days left. At the age of 40, you have 10,950 years left, 50 days left. At the age of 50, you have only 7,300 days left. At the age of 55, you have only 5,475 days left. At the age of 60, you have 3,650 days left. At the age of 65, you have only 1,825 days left. And at the age of 70, you have used up these 25,550 days. Okay? But there's also good news, okay? You have still several productive years, even after 70 years, because chapter Psalm 90, verse 10, the latter part says, if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, okay? So after 70 years also, God by his grace can definitely give you some more years. It could be another 10 years, it could be another 20 years, it could be another 30 years, okay? God can give you those extra years. And we must then plan according to that. If you notice, Moses was 80 years when he met God on the backside of the desert. So no year is, you can say, you know, it is over for me. A person does not have to say, okay, now I have retired. Now everything is over. No, you know, as long as there is life, there's a plan and a purpose. So our days are few. Now, if you are younger, you may think I have so many years left. And in our calculation, you may say, okay, I have so many days left. Learn to focus on that. Focus on how many days you still have left here on earth. There's a website, actually, that gives you the number of days that is left for you. Now, according to calculations of 70 years, it's a website. The website is www.numberyourdays.com. If you go to that website and put in your birth date, it will tell you how many days you have left. Now, for some people, that may be a shock. For some people, it could be a time for planning to say, if I have only these many days left, okay, then I better focus. I better focus. Since my days are short, I need to focus. So our days are fixed. They are also few. Fourthly, our days are fleeting. Our days are fleeting. Job 14.2 says, He cometh forth like a flower, is cut down, he fleeth also as a shadow, and continues not. Our days are fleeting. Now, they pass away unexpectedly. Okay, yes, we may think, oh, I have 70 years. Not necessary. Okay, we don't have a guarantee that we have 70 years. You know? But you know, the scripture speaks about the lifespan that God has given. It may be much before that. It could be much later than that. So that is why we have no certainty. They are fleeting. Time passes quickly. 
someone has said those who died today expected to live a lot longer. You know, nobody says I want to die today. They are always thinking about wanting to live longer. That is why James chapter 4 verses 13 and 14, it says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there that year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you do not know what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. So we have no guarantee for the morrow. So we need to plan for the future, but we also need to make sure that we are ready if this was the last day of our lives here on earth, that we are also ready to meet him. So since time passes so quickly, and also since they pass so uncertainly, as they pass so uncertainly, as Proverbs chapter 27 and verse tell, 1 tells us, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. They pass unexpectedly, and they also pass uncertainly. You know? Now, if you notice, we use these two words, isn't it? Tentative and terminal. Okay. Now, when you say this is a tentative appointment or this is only a tentative plan, what are we really saying? That this is temporary, that this is not really sure, this is an uncertain thing. Okay. Now, a lot of times you actually operate on a tentative basis, isn't it? Life is so unpredictable, so little is sure. The best laid plans of man are never for certain that this is what's going to happen. I'm sure. Maybe last year some people would have made big travel plans or big plans for this year. What happened? You know, uncertainty, tentative it has become. Also, when you're speaking you know, of this word terminal, we you know, call a person who has an, an illness that is nearing death a terminal case, a terminal case. What do you mean by that? That there's going to be a finality, okay? That's going to be an end as it were. So tentative and terminal are words that we use which show the essence of things that are temporary. But still, we must remember that we are actually eternal, that we will definitely continue on. Nobody is terminated, as it were, in God's sight. Whether it is heaven or hell, life goes on. But our days here on earth is fleeting. And as a result, they are fixed, they are few, they are fleeting, and they are also final. They are final. Job chapter 10 and verse 21 tells us, Before I go, whence I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. Our days are final. Once we leave this place, we cannot get back. Our appointment is fixed. Our appointment is fixed. Job said, before I go, whence I shall not return. Job knew that he would not return from the dust to a dwelling place among man. In other words, there's no such thing as a reincarnation. A person has died and then he comes back again into this earth. No, that's not there at all in scripture. You know, appointed to man once to die, after that the judgment. Our appointment is definitely fixed. If you notice, David also in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 33 said of his child enough from Bathsheba that died, he said, but now he is dead. Wherefore shall I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. 
In other words, another, our days here are final. Once a person dies, he doesn't come back here to this earth again. Okay, So our appointment is fixed. Our appointment is also final. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. Somebody has said that death is the last chapter of time, but the first chapter of eternity. The last chapter of time, but the first chapter of eternity. Another person said you cannot decide when or where you will die, but you can definitely decide how you will live and where you would live. So God wants us as individuals, knowing that our time is short, knowing that it is fixed, knowing that it's going to be a final thing, what we, you know, how we respond to God here on earth will determine our life after this life, then we must definitely make sure that we take stock of our life. So this is what we have looked at so far of living our days here on earth. Now, what about that day? What about that day? The Bible speaks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, that there's going to be a judgment on that day. Once to die, as Hebrew says, after that, what happens? It starts off with the judgment. It starts off with the judgment. If you have responded to Christ, you have accepted into his presence. If you have not responded to Christ, you, know, you are not accepted into his presence. <laughs> no. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 13 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Yes, there is this day, our lives here on earth, but there's also that day that is coming. A judgment for the unbeliever and an acceptance into his kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth for those who are called to be his. So if you notice in this particular passage, Peter is not giving us whole chronological details about the end times. You know, what all will happen before this particular thing you know, comes in. Rather, he is driving home one main point. Okay, What is that main point? That judgment is definitely coming. Okay, Now, two options over here. One, a person could look at the, you know, the times that we are living in times before his coming back again, and study prophecy, study about the details about the events before Christ comes back again, and get, can get so caught up with all those things that he has all the head knowledge of you know, the end time events, but his life is not really prepared. Also, on the other hand, we have no guarantee that we are going to be here on earth till he comes back again, because we can die anytime. So we must be individuals. Yes, prophecy is good. Yes, recognizing that we need to look forward to his coming is good. But we must be individuals who are willing to meet the Lord any day, any day. And how can we do that? We can only do it if we are living in holiness in our lives each day. Okay. 
So first of all, let's look at the judgment on that day. Number one, that frightening day will come with disastrous consequences for all who have not repented of their sins. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, okay? No warning given. A person may die without any warning being given or Christ would come back without any warning being given. And what will happen then? The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay. Now, in verse 9, Peter's explained, you know, one reason for the delay in the Lord's coming, that he's giving people here on earth an opportunity to repent and turn to him. But if a person says, oh, you have been talking about his coming, his coming, his coming for so many years, I don't think it will happen. Peter now in verse 10 says, no, that frightening day will come, will come. It is a certain thing. If you notice, you know, you know, uh, the judgment of God is spoken of both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as a certain thing, as a certain thing. There are a lot of people who don't want to talk about this judgment. They only want to talk about you know, how good and how kind God is. <laughs> but if you notice, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul talks about the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience. And then he adds, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Yes, God is a kind God. He wants us to repent. God is a loving God. But if you read further in verse 5, it says, But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So there is definitely going to be a time of judgment, and the judgment will be frightening for those individuals who have not responded. It will have definitely disastrous consequences. A couple of truths from that. Number one, Christ's return in judgment is absolutely certain is absolutely certain. There's no shadow of doubt about it. It will happen, okay? It will happen how? It could happen personally. As soon as we die, you got an appointment with death and no one can sort of run away from that, isn't it? The only certain thing in life is to die, isn't it? It was George Bernard Shaw who said that the statistics on death is very staggering. You know, one out of every one person dies. That's the only certain thing in life. That's an appointment that everybody has. So judgment is absolutely certain because once you die, that is the judgment. Also, the coming again of the Lord is also certain. And he has fixed a day in which he will judge the earth. If you notice in, a, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 31, Paul speaking to the philosophers at Mars Hill says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. He says God has fixed a day. For what? to judge the earth. Why to judge the earth? Because God sent Jesus into this world and Jesus is the one who is now appointed. He is our savior now. He will be our judge 
later on. So the return in judgment you know, of God is absolutely certain. The day of the Lord will come. Second lesson, Christ's return will be sudden, unexpected, and disastrous for all who have not repented of their sins. It will be sudden because the Bible says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Paul here is repeating the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 42 and 43. It says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know uh, which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. So it says it will come as a thief in the night. It will happen definitely suddenly. And just as much also in Matthew 24, 37 to 39, it speaks about as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah. They were going about their regular jobs as if nothing was going to happen. Even though Noah spoke to them and said, it's going to flood, it's going to rain, it's going to flood. Still, they went about their regular, regular business. They did not focus on the brevity of time that they have left. Similarly, each one of us, we must be careful that Christ's return or our death can be definitely happen any time. And we must be ready for it. Dying without Christ will have far more disastrous effects you know, than dying without leaving a will. Don't let the day surprise you like a thief in the night. Be ready, be watchful, be waiting. Thirdly, Christ's return will not give anyone outside of Christ any avenue of escape. Peter says over here, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay, Everything, heaven and earth, it says, you know, will be passed away. It's there's very clear that a person cannot run away from this judgment, cannot go and hide anywhere, cannot escape God's judgment. And fourthly, Christ's return will destroy all the proud works of men. Because Peter says over here, not only the earth will be you know, burnt up, but also its works, also its works. Now, Peter is not speaking about what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about our works, you know, wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones. He is not speaking about that because that's speaking about the works of a believer. Here he is speaking about the works that people depend upon for their salvation. The proud people, the rich people, the people who think they have it all. They are works, they think because of that they will have entrance into heaven. God says over here, all their works is definitely going to be removed. So, since Christ will return in judgment, since judgment is certain, now what is our response then? Since Christ will return in judgment, we should be holy people, holy people, looking forward and hastening that day. Three things that is mentioned over there. Since it is sure, appointed unto man wants to die, or Christ is definitely going to come back, either whichever one will happen first, okay? How should we live here? We should be holy people, okay? Now, when uh, um, uh, Peter writes over here, how should we live? What kind of people ought you to be? That's not really a question, you know? 
since Christ will return in judgment, we should be holy people. It's actually an exclamation over there. It's not a question. What Peter is saying, hey, if this is certain, then you better make sure that you are ready. You better make sure that you are prepared for it. Don't question and say, now what can we do about it? Okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. No, it is a question about we should be living prepared lives, living holy lives. The word holy, if you notice, in another Greek meaning is to be set apart, different from this in a world that we live in. And that is what God expects us to be, separated individuals, different people. If we are people who are looking forward for eternity, living in the light of eternity, then we should be different people from the, living, from the people living in this world for whom this life is definitely everything. So in this verse where he says, in a holy conduct, in a holy people, you know, the word that is used there is in the plural, basically meaning that you know, it is not just a, a state of mind, but it is acts of holiness or acts of godliness or acts of goodness that are continuously happening or putting it in another way, that it is our lifestyle, that it is our lifestyle. In other words, we should live all of life in the presence of God with reverence towards Him. That's what holy people is all about. And we should always be thinking of that day when we shall stand before Him and give an account of our lives. That is what holy people is all about. Ask ourselves, are we living that type of life? looking forward to stand before God's judgment seat, or are we living for ourselves? Secondly, since Christ will return in judgment, we should be looking for and hastening that day. Looking for and hastening that day. Three times in three verses, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, Peter uses this verb, looking for. Now, this word looking for would basically speak about looking forward with expectancy. Remember in Acts chapter 3 and verse 11, we have the lame beggar sitting at the temple gate. When Peter told him, look at us, okay? What does that mean? It's the same word that is used here, look expectantly, okay? So this word is speaking about the eager expectation that we should have for Christ's coming. Look forward for his coming. And as John would put it across in his epistle, if we have the scope of his coming, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. Looking forward for his coming would help us to make sure that we don't put our ten pegs too deep in this world and we'd make sure that we are living lives that are holy, waiting for his for appearance before his throne. Also, it says over here, the third thing that is mentioned over there is, and hastening that day, hastening that day. Somehow, there seems to be a connection between our living lives holy and Christ coming back again. Now, think for a moment. You know, we speak about the gospel will be preached to all the world, and then the end will come. But here, this passage is also telling us, if we are living holy lives, looking forward for His coming, then that day is also hastened. But how often we speak about this? People don't speak about live holy lives so that Christ can come back again soon. No, but the people will always speak about, okay, 
Let's preach the gospel to every person, then Christ will come back soon. We do not know what is the link between these things, but the Bible is definitely clear that if we are living holy lives, there is definitely that hastening that day. It may not be the day that has been enough fixed in us, so he changes that day because God has already fixed that date. But it would definitely be if we are living that holy life, then we are looking forward for his coming. And as a result, we are. it doesn't appear as if life here or not is going on and on and on. We are looking forward and when that happens, it is actually we have hastened the day of his coming. <coughs> Thirdly, what happens in our on that judgment, first we said about for the unbelievers, it's going to be a disastrous time. Then we have said when we are here on earth, if we are looking forward for his coming, then we should be living holy lives, looking for and hastening that day. And thirdly, we look forward for the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know? Verse 13 says, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Heaven or eternity for believers will be living in a perfectly recreated physical world untainted by sin. So look forward for that. Holy lives, looking forward for the life to come, looking forward to spending eternity looking forward for this new heaven and this new earth that God is preparing for us. So just as much as the date is fixed for his coming or for our life to end here on earth, we are also looking forward for that date in which he has also fixed for the new heaven and the new earth. So finally, let me share with you some simple practical areas on how to make your clock count for Christ. How to make your clock count for Christ. Okay. Now, think for a moment. If you had, if you received this news today that uh, in your bank account, there was going to be a daily deposit of 86,400 rupees every day. How do you feel? 86,400 rupees is going to come into your bank account every day. And the letter that mentions this also states the fact of the terms of the deposit, okay? The terms of this deposit. What is this? What are the terms? That you cannot carry over any balance from day to day. You got 86,400 rupees today. No, you have to use up all that today. You can't carry it over. And what you fail to use each day will be deleted from your account and it cannot be retrieved. Neither can you borrow from the next day's deposit. Okay? The letter also states that one of the conditions of receiving this daily deposit was that any time and without prior announcement, the bank can do an audit on your account to assess how you are using the funds that have been given to you daily. And depending on the outcome of that audit, you would be either rewarded or penalized. Now, when you think of something like that, you would say, hey, isn't it great, 86,400 rupees every day? But that's what God gives to us each day, isn't it? God gives to every human being exactly 86,400 seconds every day of their lives. No more, no less. We cannot borrow from tomorrow, 
neither can we go back and retrieve wasted moments from yesterday. What we do not use carefully and wisely today is lost forever. So we must be careful, live our days in the light of eternity. In her book, It Only Hurts When I Laugh, Ethel Barrett related a story about a high school teacher in Los Angeles who had a unique way of stimulating her students to think. From time to time, she would write brief messages on the chalkboard that were completely unrelated to the studies in which the students were involved. One morning when the students entered the room, they found the number 25,550 written on the board. Remember I mentioned that figure earlier. One pupil finally raised his hand and asked the instructor why that particular number was there. And she explained that 25,550 represented the number of days in the life of a person who lives to be 70 years of age. And the teacher wanted to impress her pupils with life's brevity. Reduced to a number of days rather than years, the span of our life on earth doesn't really sound as very long. Let me encourage you to go to that website, numberyourdays.com, and check up how many, not how many years you have, how many days you have left here. As a result, as Senna, Moses would put it across in Psalm 90 verse 12, our response have to be, teach us to number our days. So let me share with you four simple practical aspects of how to make your clock count for Christ. Number one, go to a church where truth is honored. Go to a church where truth is honored. Find a body of believers where truth about God is top priority. Why is this important? Because fellowship with the right people will help you to keep on track. If you don't have fellowship, you know, then you'll do your own thing. But if you have a body of believers who are encouraging you, that's why the Bible says, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together so that you can encourage one another, knowing that the day is coming, knowing that the time is short. Be in a group of believers who would be able to encourage one another to live holy lives. So go to a church where truth is honored. Number two, renounce all known sin in our lives. Renounce all known sin in our lives. Worship or living a holy life becomes a weak and empty form and ritual if we try to keep on with it externally while our hearts are running after other gods. So if there is sin in our lives, but externally we are still doing all the rituals of worship, all the routine, and thinking that is okay, God will not be mocked by those who make like they love him and willfully break his law during the week. So if we have to live lives that are prepared since it can happen anytime our death or his coming, renounce all known sin in our lives. Every day, let's make sure that we come before the Lord, ask him for his cleansing and live lives that are holy before him. Number three, take note of what God is doing in our lives. Take note of what God is doing in our lives. If you look at Amos chapter 4, five times the Lord says that he has done specific things in the lives of his people, but they do not turn to him. They do not turn to him. And five times the Lord says, yet you do not return to me, yet you do not return to me. In other words, God is at work. 
God is doing things in our lives which are and our gracious providential messages to return to him and trust him. Maybe helping you out of a calamity. Maybe, you know, healing you of your sickness. Maybe providing you with a job. Maybe, you know, helping, you know, uh, situations to turn around. Or maybe even putting you into situations which seemed a mess to you. But God is doing that in order to help you to take note of your lives to say, hey, what is really important in life? So spend time finding out what God is doing. Remember, God is at work. He is the one who is working in us, the scripture tells us. He has started the work. He is continuing to the work till we see him face to face. Find out what God is doing. Not just the good things he is blessing me here and there, but what God is doing to make your lives holy. It could be good things. It could be bad things, disciplining in order to take you on the right track. So take note of what God is doing in your life. And finally, number four, draw near to God in our hearts. Draw near to God in our hearts. Again, you remember in Amos chapter 4, you know, God says five times to the children of Israel, yet you do not return to me. Yet you do not return to me. That doesn't mean that he's saying, yet you do not come to a worship place. Yet you do not sacrifice. Because all that they were doing, they were offering their sacrifices and all that, but their hearts were far away. They did not return to the Lord from their hearts. Returning to God was a movement of the heart and not a movement of the body. And there is a heart preparation to be done in order to meet God. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When this is the case, the preparation needed is a movement of the heart from far to near, and yet it is a movement that is not measured in inches or by miles. It is mentioned by these ways. Number one, it is me measured with a tape of attention. You may not even be thinking of God Saturday night or Sunday morning. Set your heart is far from being measured by attention. So, so your heart is far from being measured by attention. If you are not thinking about God, if your attention span to think about God is so very limited right throughout the week and maybe only on a Sunday morning, only at a Bible study, that's the time you are thinking about God, the measure tape of affection and you know, of attention span will say your heart is far away. Or it, be, or it may be measured by the tape of focus. You may have some attention on God, but it is broken up by other things and there is no focused attention that's, that gets God clearly in view and makes him the primary object of attention. What's going on in your mind all the time? Okay, What is you know, your focus? Is your focus here on earth or is your focus on the life to come? Is your focus on God or is your focus on something material and yourself? Thirdly, it is measured by the tape of desire. You may feel little desire for God, but be very much caught up in a greater desire for sports or finances or an outing, while the desire and the longing for God is weak by comparison. What is really your desire? You know, what is tugging at your heartstrings? Next, how it can be measured by the tape of trust and hope. Your trust in God may be weak and your hope faint and wavering. 
when things are not working out the way you expected it to, do you still trust God or do you waver in your trust in Him? Or it may be, may be measured by the tape of delight or joy in God. You may feel much more pleasure, maybe on a Saturday evening watching a movie or you know, watching a match, you know, than meeting God in the morning. A lot of times people will sit up late and the next day they say, oh, I didn't have time and I couldn't get up in the morning. Or they don't get up in the morning time enough to spend time with God because so many other things have taken control. Time with God, if it's not a delight, if it is not a joy, definitely hearts are far away from God. So when you're looking at these four simple aspects, let's make sure that our clocks are counting for Christ so that anytime he comes back again or he calls us home, we would say we are ready. Simple four application points over there this evening. Number one, some say that the fear of hell is not a legitimate motive to trust in Christ as Savior. Do you agree or disagree? Why? Yeah. Should we speak about hell? Should you think about hell? Should you prepare yourself for heaven? Number two, why do people flock to prophecy conferences but not to prayer conferences? To what extent should we try to figure out the details of biblical prophecy? If you go to YouTube, if you go online, you have lots of different, different people speaking of different, different connections. You know? How much should you focus on that and how much should you focus on living lives that are holy? Number three, how can a Christian develop the biblical focus of living daily in light of Christ's coming? What practical things can he do? What practical things can he do? Fourthly, does the idea of heaven motivate you or does it bore you? How can a believer develop a longing to depart and to be with Christ? And how far should we go medically in prolonging life? A couple of important aspects of our practical nature. When you're thinking about heaven, should that be a motivation that you're looking forward for heaven? so that you can live lives here holy. How can you make sure that you, know, you can develop this you know, longing you know, to depart from here? What practical steps can you do? And if that is what life is all about on the future, then is it okay for a person to cut short his life here or not? Can we medically cut life here? Can we medically prolong life here? How far can we go medically? Let's think of those questions and apply those answers in our lives. Let's bow our heads and pray together.